Well, good morning. I'm Chris Barnett. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And I just want to take a little bit of time out because that last, last song kind of touched me. And I think that there, there's some people here right now that need a, a touch of God. We've had uh, we, that, that one verse in there, uh, come Holy Spirit, dry bones awaken. I've been dry here lately. I've been, been real dry. And I just want to take a little bit of time out and pray over that because I have a feeling that there's a lot of people that are dry here today. So let's just take some time. Father, we do acknowledge our need for you. We call on the Spirit to come down and to fill us and awaken these dry bones. We ask that you be a part of whatever is said today, that you drive the message, that, the, that it does not fall on deaf ears, that it is not delivered in a way that is un, not understandable, that it's clarified, and we ask that you be the instigator of everything that is spoken. We thank you for the times that we have had this past year, but we also look forward to the future, and we look forward to being alive at this time. And we pray over those dry bones and we declare in the name of Jesus Christ that they will come awake and that they will make a difference in this coming year. And we thank you and give you the praise for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, when I was asked to, to give this message, I, I started thinking about it and praying about it and really searching on what God wanted me to talk about. And the thing that kept coming to mind was Christmas. And I said, God, that's, I can't do that. Christmas is over. Christmas was a week ago. We're, we're now coming into the new year. That uh, if we rehash Christmas... It'll just be mundane. It'll just be something that is boring and, and we'll lose interest because we have covered Christmas. We've covered it well. But I kept get this, getting this feeling that it's supposed to be over Christmas. And so I resolved. I was like, okay, I... I take back all of my desires. I'll, I'll follow what you want me to do. And I will talk about Christmas. So, sat down, expecting to go in. Okay, Matthew, story of Christmas. Luke, first part of Luke, story of Christmas. And God led me to Luke chapter 7. And I said, wait a second, wait a second. Luke chapter 7, verses 18 through 23, that's not Christmas. 
That is the story of John the Baptist. He's been arrested and he is going to be put to death. And he is having second thoughts. He's having some reservations about who Jesus is. And so he sends his disciples. How is that Christmas? And so I started getting into that passage. And I started to realize, you know, it was John the Baptist who first recognized Jesus for who he was. And I'm not talking about at the baptism where he made that declaration, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. I'm talking about during the Christmas story when Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, had John in her womb and Mary, the mother of Jesus, comes and visits her and John the Baptist recognizes the presence of Jesus and he jumps. He recognized Jesus before Jesus was even born. He also recognized him at the baptism and, and, and announced his coming. But then now here at his death, we find that he is questioning. He has questions. So we pick it up. Verse 18 there in Luke chapter 7. And it says in verse 18, The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come in to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Now in that hour, Jesus had been healing many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive the sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now, Jesus could have answered them with yes. Because the question was, are you the person we've been waiting for? He could have said, yes, go tell John, yes. But instead... He said, see for yourself. Look at what I've done. Go report to John what I have done and what I'm doing. And then he makes a proclamation that is directly from Isaiah chapter 35. And it's a prophecy of how the Messiah is going to react when he comes. How are we supposed to notice who the Messiah is, is Isaiah 35, and it says how we will notice that is because the, the dead will rise, the lame will walk, the deaf will hear, the blind will see, the sick will be healed. That's what Jesus was doing. And so he makes that proclamation, not, yes, I'm who you are waiting for, 
he says, decide for yourselves. Am I the person you're looking for? He doesn't rely on his own proclamation. He doesn't rely on belief. He relies on evidence. He relies on the evidence of who I am. And so, again, I was like, okay, John the Baptist is connected to the, the Christmas story, uh, but is this passage really Christmas? And as I prayed and thought about it, the answer is, has everything to do with Christmas. Because Christmas was a beginning. Not the culmination, not the climax. It was the beginning of what God had planned for His people. It was the beginning of the work of salvation that He sent His Son into the world to do something. Not just to be a baby in a manger, but to actually go out and do something. And that's what this passage is reporting, is that there are actually actions to what Jesus did. There are actually actions that were the result of Him being born. There was a life that was lived that will also lead to a death. And so... I realize that the work of Christmas has everything to do with following Christ's example. Without Christmas, there would be no life, and there would be no death, and there would be no hope for us. And so that beginning set me kind of on this, this journey of looking into, okay, what then how do I answer? How do I answer to a knowledge of, okay, this is what I'm supposed to be living out, not just something that I celebrate every year. And I've come to that example of, okay, I'm supposed to be building relationships. I haven't ever met a leper but I have met sick people. I'm supposed to be ministering to those sick people. And it's not just because I'm a minister, it's because I'm a Christian that I'm supposed to be doing this. You're supposed to be doing this. You're supposed to be ministering to people that need ministering to, not congregating with people that don't need ministering to. And so... I look at this and I say, okay, Jesus' example is to minister to the needy, minister to the weak, minister to those that have felt needs. And so I say, is there, is there more? And there is more. And we come to Matthew 28, 19. There's the Great Commission. It's a command. And if we look at that, Matthew... 29.18, a lot of us can uh, recite it, but let's look at that. And it says, Go ye, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so we have this life of Christ that we're supposed to emulate, that we're supposed to go out and live out. And we also have this great commission that we are supposed to fulfill. And I look at it as, okay, the, the life of Christ is the responsibility of everybody that proclaims Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you should be in relationship with people that need Christ, whether they be sick, lame, deaf. Believe me, if somebody is lost, they're sick. And we should be in relationship with them to be able to minister to them in that area. There is the Great Commission says that we should also have a relationship in the church and an opportunity to offer baptism and teaching. And so they go hand in hand. Don't get me wrong when I'm talking about these things and you think, okay, well, I'm supposed to leave the church and always be outside. No, don't forsake the assembly because there's value there. But I'm saying don't live in the assembly. And then we come to, okay, I know that I'm supposed to be doing these things. And I'm a logistics guy. That's my job here at the church is to measure outcomes, do things like that, uh, have policy planning things. And so I'm a logistics guy. So how do I measure what I'm doing? And I like, I like to make lists and check things off. You know, so I'm looking for a formula and I look into, okay, how can I measure whether or not I'm accomplishing following the life of Christ and the Great Commission? And the evidence that I found was, is found in John 13, starting in verse 34. It says here that a new commandment I give to you. Now, a commandment is like an order. Those of you that have military experience or are in the military right now, you know there are consequences to defying an order. A superior officer. It doesn't get more superior than this. This is the superior. And so he says, a new commandment I give to you. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. That you love one another just as I love you. You're also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So how do you know whether you are following the examples of Christ and following the Great Commission and, and fulfilling the Great Commission? Do you love? Do you love people? And I know in my 
younger days, I would always, I always had the idea that, well, yeah, I, I love that person, but I don't like them. That's not possible. You cannot like the activity. You cannot like how they act. But you cannot love somebody and not like the person. It's a contradiction. You're fooling yourself. And so... How do we look at and say, okay, what, do, what is the criteria for genuine love? How can I tell if I have love for one another? Well, the Bible also gives us a guide for that. And it's found in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest." but also the interests of others. This right here is, that's hard for me. I have a problem with thinking people more significant than myself. That's something that I need to work on. Having people's interests over mine. The biggest obstacle to me having peop other people's interests over mine is that I've got too many interests. I have too many things that I'm involved in. I have too many things that I like. I have too many things that I want to do. I don't have time to take on somebody else's interest. I've got my own to worry about. Maybe we need to simplify our lives and quit taking on so many interests that we don't have time for anybody else. And we might kind of kid ourselves and say, well, I take on the interests of my kids. Well, that's not a bad thing. But hopefully, you're ministering to your kids and they have Jesus in their life. They've seen that example from you. It is the sick that needs a physician, not the healthy. You need to, you know, family is great. It is something that you need to nurture and take care of, but it's not a God that we need to set up and worship. And I can say that I've got six kids. And they have at times ruled my life, and I have had to learn that, you know, there are times when they have to take a back seat to relationships outside because I know my kid has the love of Christ in them, but I don't know that that person does. And so I need to go reach them. So, you put other people's interests 
above your own. And that is how you start the work of Christmas. Now that sounds, sounds real daunting. It, sounded, it sounds daunting to me. It's one of those things that I'm telling you right now that I am not there. I have not perfected this. I'm, I'm, I am, this message is, is for me and y'all get to hear it. This is one that, that God said, yeah, you need to listen to this and say it out loud so everybody else can hear too. So, I sat down and I was like, okay, how can I start putting these things into practice? Well, I'm going to give you three things. Three things that will help you begin the work of Christmas. And the first thing is, you have to leave the stable. You have to leave the stable. I've been guilty of this. I know there are people here in this room that are guilty of it. We have built a room in the stable. Got us a bed. And we live now in the stable. We have great thoughts of the baby Jesus, great thoughts of the silent night, great thoughts of Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and we want to stay forever in the stable. But I can tell you right now, let's take a lesson from the Christmas story. Let's look at the shepherds. The shepherds heard the angels and the angels declared the birth of Christ and the shepherds said, let's go see. And so the shepherds went to the stable and they knelt down before the Jesus and they didn't build a room and set up a bed and stay there. They worshipped Him and then they got up and they went back to their work and they told what they had seen and heard and rejoiced about what they had seen and heard. So they didn't stay in the stable. They went back to work and they shared their experience. We look at the wise men. Now the wise men arguably didn't go to the stable. Sorry if that ruins your uh, thought of Christmas. But at the time that the, that the birth happened, the star appears. Okay, so while Jesus was in the stable, the star appears. What if the wise men see the star and they formed a study group to talk about the star? They learned to say star in Greek and Hebrew. They formed a Bible study. And all they did was research a star. There'd be a problem, wouldn't they? No, they actually left their comfortable place where they were and they got on camels and rode from my study. It took, on the average of a camel caravan, 
is 40 miles a day. So Persia, where we think that they came from, is 1,200 miles from Jerusalem. So it would have taken them one month without stops to get there. So they actually had to plan. They actually had to do something. They got off of their comfortable place and they went and they saw Jesus. And they still didn't set up shop. They worshipped Him. They gave Him gifts. And then they turned around and they left. Went back telling people what they had seen and heard. Now let's take a third look. Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. Even they didn't stay in the stable. You know, we like to think of it being okay this silent night. And I know my wife hates me saying this. She always says, oh, you're ruining my concept of Christmas. Is that I've been around a pregnant woman and it wasn't a silent night. I accidentally had my ring turned backwards during one pregnancy and I still have a scar there holding a hand and it squeezed. But they didn't stay at the stable. They spent one night there. And then we see from the story of the wise men, the wise men actually came to a house and visited the baby Jesus. Another sorry if I ruined your concept. But they didn't stay at the stable. Guess what would have happened if they would have stayed at the stable? Herod was on his way. And Herod was killing every single baby under the age of two. Every single male baby under the age of two. So if they would have stayed at the stable, Jesus would have been dead. So they had to leave the stable. So that is what we have to do. We have to actually leave the stable to spread the gospel. Another thing, too, you have to be intentional where God has you. I know a lot of us like to think about, well, you know, I'm right now, I'm kind of like Paul, I'm building tents over here. Well, as Paul built tents, he was intentional about what he talked about. He still ministered. He wrote books while he was building tents. He said he learned to be content whether he was being paid for ministry or not. Whether there was a benefit to him or not, he still did ministry. And so we need to be intentional with what we're doing. One of the ways, the hardest ways that I find to be intentional is, is I say this, and I want, want us to make a resolution, and, and Eric's going to talk about this later on, but to have a quiet time, a devotional every single day. And you think that ministers shouldn't have a hard time with that? I have the hardest. Because I open the Bible every day. 
But a lot of the time, it's to prepare for something. And then I say, well, that'll... You know, that takes care of my time with God. I, I spent time in the Word today. Well, yeah, I spent time in the Word preparing a lesson or a, a message. No. God wants time with you. Speaking with you, sharing with you. He wants that. And you need to want that time with Him also. <clears throat> when you're being intentional... When you're going back to your work, you want to do what uh, Luke 7 says. You're, you're trying to build a relationship with person. Uh, don't be obnoxious. That is one of the biggest turnoffs for non-Christians is Christians being obnoxious. I remember a quote that Gandhi said one time, he said that he had read all of the scriptures and that had studied the life of Jesus and he was on the verge of making the decision to become a Christian until he met one. Don't be that person. Judgmentalism is the hardest thing to overcome. Build a relationship with that person before you try to change them. Now, get what I said. Before. Christ requires change. But He doesn't require it to be done before you come to Him. He changes you after it's because you are in that, that mindset that you need Christ. So don't be obnoxious and remember to love. Love is attractive. Love is very attractive. I would not have gotten the, the wife that I got. I, I went way above where I should have been able to get because of my love for her. I got the best end of that bargain. So, we know that we have to leave the stable. We can't stay where we are because you'll never reach who you need to reach if all you're doing is sitting at the stable. We need to be intentional where we are. And we need to do what God has already told you to do. I was having a conversation with one of the praise team. And they reiterated, they said it better than what I, the analogy that I had. And they, they said, you know... A lot of the times we, we're praying for somebody of whether or not we need to speak to that person about God. The answer is, why are you praying? The answer is yes. You've already been commanded to. You've already been told to do that. You don't have to pray about 
whether or not you should share the gospel. That is a command. I remember, I think about the story, if you know who William Booth is, he's the founder of the Salvation Army. And back in 1885, he was having uh, these councils with the clergy in England, bringing them together because he was reaching all of these people from the streets. He was doing street ministry. He was reaching the, the people that were addicted to drugs, the ones that were uh, homeless, the ones that were drunk. The, he, he was reaching out to those, the prostitutes, and they were coming to Christ. And it was causing some problems within the church community, uh, but he, he was still doing it. And he went to this council and he said, I need help. I'm running out of money. And it takes money to do this ministry, to help these people. And the council talked amongst themselves and they said, you know, we agree with you. And we are going to pray for a move of God. And I love this quote. William Booth says, I'm not waiting on a move of God. I am a move of God. That's something that we need to take up. We need to take up this, this thought process of praying to do something that God has already commanded us to do, we need to get over that. We are commanded to seek the lost. We are commanded to minister to the sick. We are commanded, commanded to meet the needs of the poor. These are things that we're commanded already to do. We don't need to pray about it. They're things we already should be doing. And so, I'm saying that going into 2019, make a resolution with me. And I, I, I hate... No, New Year's resolutions. No, we're not going to do that. We're going to make a commitment that we are going to reach the community. Don't make so lofty that we're going to, okay, we're going to reach Oklahoma or reach the world. We're going to go to this country over here. Let's start here, Enid, Oklahoma. That we are going to make a difference in this community for Christ this year. And if we can resolve to do that and we can agree that this is already a command, we don't need to pray about it, we just need to move forward, then I believe that God will bless us and God will provide for it. He's blessed us so much. He has blessed this church so much in the way of being able to reach 
people. And I think it's time that we took more of the opportunities we've been given to spread His Word to this community. No one else, we don't, we don't re- rely on anybody else to do it. We've already been commanded to do it. So, in 2019, let's commit. We're going to seek the lost, heal the sick, and set the captive free.